0: Hey, Sam. Hey, Danny. Happy to be here. Um, Me too. That's my show. I'm doing a bit of a showbiz showbiz thing. Uh, I have been catching up on on my classics. I'm very sensitive now about the films that I've watched. I don't like being accused of having not seen films. So I've gone straight to the canon of all-time greats. And I haven't finished watching this film yet, but I've watched 45 minutes of it, and I know that I'm going to love it. And it is The Rock from 1996 the Michael Bay film Excellent starring film. Nicolas Cage and Sean Carney. Never seen this film before. Um, and yeah, I watched three quarters of an hour in it. I have to say it's a blast. I am loving it. Nicholas Cage is a perfect fit for the Michael Bay world, which is this like over top ultra macho world. Excuse me with <clears throat> to Clear my throat. <clears> throat> it says over the top macho world and Nicolas Cage is not a properly macho guy, but he's a very over the top guy, and he just—I just find him in this context super entertaining. He's basically doing the kind of like slightly cartoonish, um, very outre, uh, extroverted performance. It reminds me a bit of like um, John Cleese in Faulty Towers, something <laughs> like that. The way that he's able to turn on a dime, and uh, every line is delivered as though it's got. Like, you remember, like, one of your friends at, um, at uni who wrote a script? Maybe they weren't your friend, but it was, like, one of the scripts from your film production course where every single line had a parenthesis thing about how to deliver it? Yeah. like He, uh, he wasn't a friend of mine. Not maybe. a friend, okay. <laughs> but I know who you're referring to. But, like, every line was, like, hastily or, like, you know, laughing. That's funny. Like They're all lines like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I feel like it's as though all of Nicolas Cage's lines are written like this, and he just, as a kind of acting um exercise reads that word and just goes to town and there was a bit in it where he encounters sean connery and sean connery thinks he's gonna like arrest him and be like this man's a criminal but instead he's like he's working with me and i'm not going to embarrass you know he doesn't want to embarrass him in front of his daughter who he's just met his estranged daughter so he's like this man's working with me and he's helping me solve crimes or something and he's very polite and then he walks away, and Sean Connery is like, "Oh, that was nice of you. You didn't have to do that." And like Nicholas Cage is, I mean, like, "You a hole!" And he just like is furiously angry with him. What do you say we cut the chit chat,
1: a hole?
0: And uh, I just thought it was a it was like a kind of Cleese move, you know? Yeah. Like, oh yes, of course, of course, of course.
1: You stupid idiots. But I think
0: the Rock is sort of cited as like the Michael Bay
1: film as a to like. Akita-like. Yeah. It's like the one that his naysayers are like, the rock is
0: kind of fine because it's like... Well, it's like, it's dumb as a bag of hammers. Yeah. But it seems to be, it's, yeah, it's definitely achieving its goals, you know, I so remember, far. I wish that maybe lot
1: was a kid, but isn't it a bit like Sean Connery just needs like one coin to break out of some chains, like a single, like, quarter? He uses,
0: well, it's a bit, I guess it's just to demonstrate his resourcefulness, but he uses this one coin and he sort of stamps on his chair on the coin to create a bend in it and then he uses it as a kind of blade to cut a circle in some glass. You know, it doesn't really make wow. any sense. He also like uses a shower cord and then like ties his arm to someone else's arm, then flings them off a balcony and then is like holding them holding their entire body weight from yeah. the from as they're dangling off the balcony and then somehow de- de- detaches the the cord from his arm and ties that around like a chair or something so the guy is just dangling and he can escape, but it's really—it doesn't make any like you think about it for two seconds, and it makes no sense how that would be possible. But you know, you just go with it. Let's go with it. Another fun fact I read about The Rock is that I think I'd heard this before, but I completely forgotten about it. The OMD so, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know this, say like uh, in The Rock, part of the plot involves um, or the sort of the main plot is this general who's gone rogue and has stolen all of this poison gas, which is in these like glass orbs. And um, one of the uh, pieces of evidence that was compiled for the uh, dossier that was used to support um, the invasion of Iraq, that was like one of the informants who um, had evidence for Saddam's weapons of mass destruction, just made it up based on the scene in this movie. So he had written that Saddam had these like chemical weapons that were in these glass orbs, which is not how they're actually stored because that would be an idiotic way saw them because they would fall and smash which is what happens in the movie which is obviously good for you know a dramatic effect but is it is not reality and it's just um when this came out all these uh, people were utterly incredulous that nobody could have like no one who knew anything about this topic would have read the dossier and be like well that's not how that works but yeah it's great so the rock helped a uh, you know good movie but it did help um lead to the erosion of Iraq so
1: so, so maybe say
0: so, so that takes a half star. So I'll, I'll only give that one, that one four and a half. Anyway, Danny, uh, I will now talk about what this. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, Danny, want to want a segue for me? Certainly. <laughs> so anyway, Sam. Anyway,
0: Danny, maybe just as a sort of natural segue here, could you create a segue for me? <laughs> sure. Um, what's this podcast about, Sam? Great question, Danny. Thank you for spontaneously asking me. So, for first time listeners. This is a podcast all about a trio of bodybuilders who burn carbs and do crimes. Danny Moran is an ex-con who works at a gym where he becomes the personal trainer of a sleazy rich guy called Victor Kershaw. He comes up with a madcap scheme to kidnap Kershaw and extort money from him and enlists two other 'er muscle-bound ne'er-do-wells to be his accomplices. Me, Sam Foster, a colleague at the gym rendered impotent by steroid use, And Katie Rogers, a cocaine-addicted ex-con who has recently found God. What ensues is a vulgar, violent satire on the American dream. Yes, it's over the top. Yes, it's bad taste. But if you give it a chance, it might just make you think a little bit about the American dream. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of Pain and Gain, the 2013 Michael Bay film starring Marky Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne Dwayne Johnson, and Anthony E. Anthony Mackey. Instead, it's just a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and uh, joining me is just a big, hulking mass of muscle and criminal intent, Danny Moran. That's me. That's me, Sam. You know, you know what kind of
1: movies I like? I like movies about rich, white, powerful people
0: either doing things or not doing things. <laughs> I see you found a strong thread of connection here in our reviews. Or
1: maybe sometimes they do things, but the things they're doing are kind of pointless. So I am beyond excited (laughs) for this week's episode, because we are reviewing three films that fulfill that criteria. First off, I review The Final Year, the aptly named documentary about Obama's foreign policy team desperately trying to show up his legacy during his final year in office. Your enjoyment of the film will very much depend on your answer to this question. How much do you want to relive 2016? That's right. This film is going to be bigger than Avatar. <laughs> then Sam will be giving us the lowdown on all the money in the world, the film in which Mark Wahlberg demanded to be paid over a million dollars to play a man trying against convince another man to pay some other men millions of dollars. Meta. Then I review Darkest Hour, a film which a certain fat, egotistical, racist head of state is the subject of... See what I did there. Plus, we look at the exciting <laughs> new projects from hottest shit directors Barry Jenkins and the Safety brothers and discuss which films creeped us out as kids. All of which should give me just enough time to table my latest editing project. It's a men-only recut version of the 9.49 film The Women, directed by George Gakur, where I've removed all the scenes that include women, obviously foisted on the film by the bloody PC brigade and the feminazis, and reduced to what the women should be, an 18-second gif, Consisting entirely of establishing shots take that Hillary nice that joke really lands if you know that film features no men at all got it so research that film <laughs> and come back to me and realise that that was the funniest pick of film to do an only men version cut of Derry men because there are no men
0: we've got a highly educated audience so and yeah. they know their shit and they'll be rolling the eyes of that one Before we go any further, uh, we would like to give you a quick reminder that we are hosting a film quiz. It's gonna be on Tuesday, the twenty third of January. That's gonna be quite soon by the time we're listening to this. So you better be pretty quick off the mark. And if it's in the past, I'm sorry you missed your chance. Or nice to see you, I'm glad you came. Um it's on it's at seven PM at the Social, which is a bar near Oxford Circus on little Portland Street. It uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. The theme of it is that it is mostly unGoogleable, not entirely. Some bits will be Googleable, but in general, it's going to be the sort of thing where you cannot plug into your phone a question that will resolve uh, the answer, uh, sorry, a question that will resolve the question, <laughs> that will give you the answers, uh, which we know a lot of people do at quizzes. Quizzes are rife with cheating these days. Yeah. It's a big problem in the whole pub quiz community. If you go on the pub quiz forums, they're all talking about it. Well, it's not a problem at our quiz due to its multimedia content.
1: Also, it's free, and the prizes aren't that spectacular, to be honest with you. So the stakes are kind of low.
0: Yeah, so I wouldn't worry about it. You know, I mention it to some people, and I try to sell it to them, and they obviously don't want to come for many reasons, mainly that they're not interested, and they say to me, oh, I don't know much about films, you know? And then I say, don't worry, like, it's going to be fun, even if you don't know know that that much about movies. And I just decimate that excuse. Boom. And then they have to come, even though they obviously don't want to.
1: So, see you there, or great to see you.
0: (laughs) See you there, or it was lovely to see you there, depending on when you listen to this episode. Um, Danny, you set our Facebook ablaze again with another killer question. Which I stole from Twitter. Which you stole from Twitter, but you you saw potential in it. So, that also takes skill. Uh, You asked, What movie traumatized you as a kid? And we got many responses to this. Danny, which one's leapt out at you?
1: Well, it's quite a sort of vague question, and I think we got like a variety of responses. Some people cited films which they were too young to see, like horror films that creeped them out, and maybe if they'd been five years older, it wouldn't have the effect on them. And some people picked kids' movies, which are generally horrific. And then some people, like my sister, picked films which are just emotionally taxing, too much for a little kid. She cited the film Homeward Bound, which she says generally can't even talk about it without welling up, and it's been over 20 years. I haven't Uh, seen
0: that movie and. Maybe that's you know the best that's, move for my wise, emotional stability. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's
1: about animals getting lost and trying to find their way home. A lot of scenes of dogs in peril. You know? Oh, dear. Oh. oh, no. It is a bit like, whose idea of a good time is that? And similarly, like, LJ side, Watership Down, which is another like, massive emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Just, like, you know, cute animals suffering death and... What's the harrow.
0: one about where it's all about the animals trying to resist this, like, industrial encroachment on their forest that's, like, knocking down the trees oh, and stuff? Fine. Animals are farthing wood or something like that? Yeah. Isn't it called something like that? Yeah. You know. Who's making these awful, making sadistic, these- animal cruelty stuff?
1: Um, yeah, and then, like, a common film that came up was The Witches, which I have to agree with. An absolutely terrifying film. Scared the bejesus me as a kid. I used to have uh, bunk beds in my room, and my sister had to sleep on the top bunk for a week. Wow, that I is was sim- so freaked That out. is
0: serious stuff.
1: Which, uh, yeah, because it is a terrifying film, and I think that that is a genuinely like horrific. I mean, like it's Rodol's genius in a way because he understands the child's psyche. But the scene with the witch trying to tempt him down from the treehouse.
0: Perhaps you'd like some chocolate instead. Whee! She can't hear you. What's your name? Is it... Luke. <laughs> Thought so. Very creepy. Yeah,
1: but like, you know, another film people cited was like um, Return to Oz, which is a very scary movie, but it's in the context of like, they go to a crazy fantasy world where there's these, all these monsters. But The Witches has kind of like real world parallels and sort of, you know... Chimes into like, your actual childhood fears of like you know losing your parents or being yeah, yeah, abducted, yeah. and it just uh, does not downplay that at all. Like I mean, they got Nicholas Rogue to director who did Don't Look Now. Maybe that was you know a genius or bad move because <laughs> he really you know brought all the horror expertise
0: to the film. To this day, it scares the life out of me. What picks did you like? Well, there's some slightly more uh, left field uh, choices here. So Michael Patrick who picked The Witches also suggested Space Jam. He says I was scared that the aliens were gonna come and steal all my talents. Then I realized I didn't have any real talents, so I overcame the fear. Come on. Come on. Don't put yourself down that way.
1: Come on, buddy.
0: Um I hear your play's very good. Has he got a play?
1: Yeah. About his testicle being large or something.
0: That's right. Yeah. My left ball or something. My left ball, my left nut. My left nut? My left because it's left like nut. my left foot, right? Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I hear it got rave reviews. Uh you bring should it go- to London.
0: Bring it to London and, well, our listeners are global. So yeah. wherever you live, go see it. Bring it to out. London
1: or Hong Kong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. put it, and it anywhere and we'll,
0: we'll bring you an audience because we have that kind of clout. Um, uh, Georgia messaged us, our friend Georgia messaged us to say that she ran out of the cinema during the following films. First of all, there's four films on this list. <laughs> Do you recall was a child ever running out of the cinema? No. <laughs> this, this happened four <laughs> times. That's like, that's like a lot of times, no matter what the movies are. So the ones that she suggests are Batman and Robin, Spike Kids, <laughs> Hercules, and The Return of Jafar. Did that even... Did that get a cinematic release? I thought it was just... <laughs> I it
1: was oh, straight wow. So first
0: of all, the big question is, how are you watching The Return of Jafar in the cinema, Georgia? What's going on? What's going on there? What's going on? Unless she's sending us a sort of gang list. I don't know. She maybe is pulling our um, balls here. Um, and Al Butt suggests Lord of the Rings. He says, a couple of minutes into the second film, seeing Gollum... Was enough to make me burst into tears and run upstairs to my mum.
1: Well, he is quite a scary, he's quite a scary character, scary isn't he? Character. Well,
0: you have to. I assume that, but I was young when when I watched the movie. Yes, for a child it would be scary. For an adult, nothing. <laughs> nothing.
1: <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing.
0: For a grown man, nothing. What about you? Do you have any um things that really scared you as a kid? Um, the only. I mean, I don't. I don't have any sort of like uh sort of interesting curio ones right i like i watched toy story in the first five minutes you know hey, made me bit, shit my pants although sid. the bit the bit was sid is scary it is kind of scary you're right that was a bad i was trying to think of a comically ridiculous <laughs> example but that movie does have some scary bits in it um but no i was i definitely well one someone wait sorry i'm gonna find this uh we got a suggestion from Jaima Mali cardenas of ghostbusters 2 the baby snatcher scene and Ghostbusters too underrated for the 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 bits of scariness in it. It's
1: definitely scarier.
0: Well, the 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 scene in Ghostbusters where she sits on the the uh, chair and like all the arms come out of it and drag her into the that's pretty scary. But Ghostbusters two has also got some quite scary moments. The bathtub bit is simultaneously utterly ridiculous but genuinely pretty frightening. And the baby snatcher bit is also pretty scary. So that's a legitimate choice. That definitely creeped me out a lot as a kid. Um and I also have a distinct memory of I think this was like after I'd already watched The Shining so The Shining really freaked me out but it is a horror movie yeah. so it l- is the most terrifying film of ever mix it so. is pretty scary so that's understandable but I remember having seen the film being particularly creeped out uh, lying in bed as it was on television downstairs I think my parents were watching it and I couldn't, I wasn't watching it, but I could just hear the kind of score and like the noises and stuff. Yeah. And that was really, that. I found that extremely creepy because I sort of, you know, I knew the movie having seen it already, oh but, but just like, it was sort head. of evoking the, yeah. Like, that, was, that was really disturbing.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out Emma Night film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print So, today's news section will consist of two stories about a couple of exciting filmmakers and their new projects uh, The first of which is Barry Jenkins, the director of Moonlight one of the best movies of last year, the Oscar Best Picture winner. Eventually. Eventually, (laughs) eventually. (laughs) Um, And uh, so everyone is really excited to see what he's going to do next. First of all, I want to say, if you want some more Barry Jenkins content, follow him on Twitter if you don't do so already. He's very entertaining on there. Incredibly enthusiastic, seems a very cheerful guy. And he recently did this thread about watching Notting Hill on an airplane behind someone else who was watching it. So just like not... Apparently not having seen the film or being aware of the plot and uh, just sort of vaguely following what was going on from the images on someone else's uh, seat screen. And it's absolutely hilarious. I think he was quite drunk as well. He was sort of getting <laughs> drunk on the plane, watching Notting Hill. And he's absolutely outraged that he, he loves Julia Roberts. So he, he talks a lot about how Judy, how stunning Julia Roberts is in this movie. And uh, he's like... Um, that whatever Hugh Grant is saying has to be incredible if he is in some way in the picture here with Junior Roberts. <laughs> like, he's like he's like talks about his like English cat game. It's got to be incredible. Like
1: English cat game,
0: English cat game. So I recommend that bit of Barry Jenkins' uh, content. That will tide you over until uh, his upcoming project, If Bill Street Could Talk, which we've discussed um, before, novel adaptation he's doing, which he's currently in editing for. But there is another thing on the horizon for Jenkins, a collaboration with Chadwick Boseman, who um, is going to be Black Panther in the upcoming Black Panther film. And what was he in? He did some biopic right? came to or prominence as
1: James, in that James Brown biopic. James
0: Brown, yeah, exactly. The James Brown biopic. Chadwick Boseman has written this, uh, co written this movie with someone called Logan Coles called Expatriate, which is a thriller set in the 1970s revolving around the hijacking of a plane. And that's about all that we know about it at the moment. But it's going to be quite cool to see Jenkins go into action thriller territory. I mean, Moonlight is a million miles from that, but it's directed with a lot of panache. So you can imagine him.
1: Yeah, it was such an exciting, you know, assured film that you just yeah. feel like... he could turn his hand to yeah, anything. exactly, any genre. It's quite funny, like, if you just said, like, if you just announced that, like, the new project by Liam Neeson, I'd be like, oh, but I'm like, Chadwick Boseman, Barry Jenkins? This would be the best film ever made.
0: Yeah, well, well, Chadwick Boseman is, you know, he's got a lot of charisma. He seems like he'd be a good guy to be in an action Do you think, on right a
1: sort of, you know, it's always a bad idea to say this is like a turning point or whatever (laughs) i always feel like people say that when it never actually is yeah (laughs) but you think like black panther is like poised to be like a massive hit well there's a lot of there's a
0: lot of chatter about this on twitter right people think that black panther is going to be like the biggest movie of all time yeah um and it's it has it's already had record-breaking ticket sales advanced advanced ticket sales yeah um or maybe not record breaking, but it's had like it's it's got more advanced ticket sales than like Captain America: Civil War did. Oh, okay, right. Um, something like that. And, you know, and that was obviously had all this sort of marquee star quality that Black Panther doesn't have, and all these other movies building up to it, and uh, you know made an incredibly enormous amount of money as well. And it, there is there, there are certainly people who are predicting that Black Panther is going to be this like you know massive um, box office smash with its like combination of sort of celebratory like Black African culture and you know blockbuster thrills. So were you going to suggest that it's like opening up the door now? for... Yeah,
1: just like I don't know. It does feel like well, the Black Panther is somewhat a unique.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's like been, it's like you know, a, there it's was like a blade black...
1: so many years ago, and there's like.
0: But it seems Black Panther feels like a black action film, which has complete is totally shorn of black exploitation vibes. Yeah, because of the whole Afro-futurist yeah, element yeah, yeah, to yeah. it. So it doesn't. There's no. It doesn't feel like an exploitation movie, um, and so maybe it will. Uh, leave room for these like super black centred movies that don't feel like they're drawing on the on the history of black which 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 blades you know probably falls into. A bit.
1: Yeah, and I guess it's not. Well, the trailer suggests it's not about like a black character navigating themselves for a predominantly white environment, which yeah. is what like what a lot of cop movies are about. Like you
0: know, well, it's the part of the appeal of Black Panther is that it's this utopian thing about a um, uh, African country that is free from colonization and it's like this technologically advanced it's like the most technologically advanced country on earth and i think that that utopianism is a really invigorating take on on that on those kinds of race issues rather than being like you know a a black hero who's struggling against this like you know oppression in a in a world of white supremacy but instead of like it's this kick-ass universe where white supremacy doesn't exist um and so yeah so it, w- it would be cool to see more movies from perspective although i don't know if her film set in the 70s <laughs> is necessarily going to follow that trajectory exactly but it certainly does sound very exciting yeah what's your favorite plane hijacking film oh air force one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, good question sir Ooh.
1: nice one yeah that's, yeah that's my favorite one yeah it's got a great performance from gary oldman i think he's like georgian or something in it he's doing a sort of Russian accent. Mr. Mm-hmm. face against Harrison Ford. Does he um, say "up
0: your bum" at any, any says, time? <laughs> it says "up your bum." Up uh, your <laughs> bum, Mr. President.
1: Uh, 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 up your bum. There's a bit where Harrison Ford says, "Get off my
0: plane." Oh yeah, I know about that bit. Very I think good. I saw a bit of this movie on TV yeah. as a child, but I'm not. It's a great anything. premise for a film. Great premise for a film. Any film in which the president is an action hero <laughs> is a winner. <laughs> it's that and Big Game, yeah. and uh, White House Down. The best three films of all time.
1: Best three films of all time. Absolutely.
0: But you know what could be the fourth best film of all time? <laughs> what could be... After those three films, what could be the fourth best film of all time, Danny? Uh, this project I'm about to talk
1: about. So, uh, Good Time is one of the best films of last year and is on UK Netflix. So if you haven't seen it, get the yourself to a Netflix Hi High, the High the to the, Netflix. Um, which was directed by Josh and Benny Safdie and Benny Safdie starred in it. And uh, obviously... They've made a few films, but this was a real breakthrough and Hollywood's come a calling. And they are attached to um, co-write and direct a remake of 48 Hours, which if you haven't seen is a early buddy comedy from the 80s directed by Walter Hill, which starred Nick Nolte back when he was comprehensible and uh, super young Eddie Murphy when he was in his first, you know, rise to stardom. And the plot is that uh, there's some evil couple of guys who've killed a cop and Nick Nolte's trying to track them down and for reasons he has to get Eddie Murphy, who's in prison. He used to be a cop as well, I believe, and he's out on a 48-hour sort of pass. He's a free man for two days and this wise-talking, street-wise black guy and, this, uh, and Nick Nolte. Can imagine the. Can imagine, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, and it's like a sort of pretty fun movie and, like, uh, very, and quite gritty in the way Water Hill movies are. Um, but... The so Snafu Brothers like are a great pick for that material because one of the things that's good about Forty Eight Hours and sort of it kind of dates it but gives it a bit of edge is that it does sort of tackle uh, racism. And like one of the standout scenes is uh, Eddie Murphy going to a redneck bar and just like owning a bunch of uh, you know hillbillies. There's like a very famous line, which I can't say, but I could put the quote in. Yeah. What the hell kind of cop are you?
0: You know what I am? I'm your worst fucking nightmare a nigga with a badge i mean i got permission to kick your fucking ass whenever i feel like it
1: um and good time was kind of all about white privilege and you know it had a very insightful take on the way uh the police assume innocence and guilt based on the color of your skin so it, you know with them behind the wheel you sense they would kind of retain that kind of thing because otherwise it's just basically a buddy comedy action movie
0: yeah and also uh good time takes place within a compressed period it's like a thriller
1: 72 hours
0: uh, oh yeah it's true yeah isn't it well it's more like one night isn't it good time basically it's 24 hours
1: that's 20, you know, 24 hours doubling. so they're
0: just expanding to, to 48 now
1: yeah but it'd be good because yeah 48 hours is kind of like it feels a bit of a prototype movie i don't know i'm not quite versed in like the history of buddy comedy movies and uh black comedians and films to quite make this point but i'm gonna make it anyway <laughs> but like i feel like the eddie murphy thing became something of a template and uh like kind of will smith in men in black is sort of doing a similar thing or like rush hour and uh more and more like the fact like his blackness isn't like part of his character it's just that he's like wise cracking and cool yeah i guess it's part of blackness but like you know he doesn't really face racism in those films yeah yeah i know i know what you mean um it just became like a sort of character type which was predominantly played by black actors so it'd be kind of interesting to bring it back you know to actually make it a culturally specific thing yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, and the Safdie brothers would be a good pick for that. But who is a who is the Eddie Murphy of 2018? Daniel
0: Kalea. Oh shit! That'd be amazing. Just, I mean, I just love him. So just get him to do it. That would be awesome. <laughs> he's just such a cool, funny guy. He's who got so be... m- he's got an insane amount of charisma. Who's the Nick Nolte of now? Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> they were in that movie.
1: They played father and son, right, in Warrior.
0: Uh, did they?
1: Yeah, didn't they?
0: What? Daniel Kaluuya and no, Tom Hardy uh, played father and Tom son. Ha-
1: sorry, Tom Hardy and <laughs> Nick Nolte. Right, I see. Okay, so like a Nolte-esque actor. <laughs> yeah, you need some of an incomprehensible accent.
0: Yeah, you can't understand a word Tom Hardy kind says hulky, in, in any of, of his big. films. He's kind of a hulky guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, that would be that would be fucking great casting. Yeah, continue the work. British invasion of uh, America. I'm all for it.
1: I think get rid of these like
0: cheekboned...
1: Like inbred aristocratic the fucking right
0: club. Get the them, get <laughs> them out of there. Get
1: Hiddleston, okay, he's, we've tried, okay, it's just not working. Yeah, okay. he can be Loki, fine, but he's not some. He's just not good enough. Get rid of him. Stick
0: to the fucking raw Shakespeare exactly. company. Hiddleston. Get rid of
1: Cumberbatch. Get rid of Redmayne. Bring in Kalua. And a bunch of bringing people, bringing people
0: who look like they were like born to humans, and you know lived in a real environment, exactly, and and, and went sort of but there was some sort of like posh birthing pod <laughs> from some kind of like aristocratic like sci-fi laboratory or something like that. Like those guys, they're too weird looking. I think that instead of making movies, they should just only go on chat show sofas. Yeah. They, they, they shouldn't be having to and promote uh, a film like, yeah. react to memes on the internet. react to memes like appear like be compared to like animals like otters and stuff and uh, be part of fun cute memes and your know, tumblr blogs and fan twitter accounts or whatever but just not in films come on do all the other stuff that's fine and just leave leave it to people who got a bit of personality you know for god's sake for god's come on now come, come on. on god's sake and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. What a staggeringly brilliant, was it? Our we poor. How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off.
1: So, the final year. This is a documentary I saw at the London Film Festival, which is just getting released. It is directed by a chap called Greg Barker. And it is all about Obama's uh, foreign policy team trying to shore up his legacy during his final year in office. This team consists of. Uh, uh, John Kerry, who we all know as the failed presidential candidate, uh, Deputy National Security Advisor and Presidential Confidant Ben Rhodes, and uh, the UN Ambassador Samantha Power, as well as Obama himself, who sort of drifts in and out of the movie as he's delivering a sort of, like, farewell tour of speeches. Hello. And See you f- later. <laughs> and the film sort of tracks them over this year as they try and sort of solidify and lock in policies they've been working on and, you know, secure the Obama legacy. But there's a bit of an elephant in the room which gets larger and larger. And that elephant's <laughs> as name, it looms closer. As it looms closer. <laughs> elephant's name is Trump. And here is a clip. As I address this
0: hall as president for the final time, let me recount the progress that we've made a quarter century after the end of the Cold War. The world is by many measures less violent and more prosperous than ever before. And yet our societies are filled with uncertainty and unease and strife. You know, I had this huge fight with Samantha last night. You can ask her about it. But um, I think she thought it was... Well, I don't want to speak for her, but she, she was concerned, is it too optimistic? It wasn't just me and Ben who were fighting, Obama was in the
1: argument as well, so it, he's kind of the most important person in the discussion,
0: but um, our perspectives are just fundamentally different perspectives. The president and Ben, you know, want to affirm it, it, just how peaceful uh, our cities have become, relatively speaking.
1: Going to be honest, Ben Rhodes seems like a bit of a dish bag. <laughs> No, uh, wouldn't want to be trapped in an elevator with this guy.
0: Yeah? Yeah. So like Bit of a Washington of... stooge, is he? He's probably like that guy in The Rock.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Ugh, that Ugh, guy. Ugh, the chief of staff in <laughs> <and> The Rock.
1: <laughs> wet wipe. <laughs> and basically, the film, I think, is quite interesting in that the intention of the filmmaker is miles apart from what the footage is actually revealing, and there is a lack of progress in the kind of foreign policy dealings which kind of epitomizes the failures of the obama administration and the things that allowed trump to sweep into power and it's a bit like while they're jetting off like giving books to dignitaries and doing stuff like having meetings endless sort of stuff it feels like i feel you should really be paying a closer look at what's going on at home (laughs) <laughs> which I guess you know they are the foreign policy team, <laughs> but it just you know you get that impression.
0: Well, given that it's called the final year, which suggests uh, you know that that it has a scope or uh, that applies more widely than purely to the conduct of the foreign policy, right? Yeah,
1: but that's its focus. But yeah. it's like it's about the people, like, and I would say that they're kind of interesting characters, but it's a bit of a mixed bag. Ben Rhodes is obviously somebody. Who watched way too much of The West Wing and fancies himself as idealistic kind of guy, but just does not really know how to do anything. I think he just seems he's <laughs> such a sort of, like beep character. Yeah, you know, yeah. like he's very smart. He's very, um, you know, has strong moral beliefs, but I could not tell you what his positions were on anything after watching his documentary. And Samantha Power, for at least, is like visibly frustrated of the lack of progress. And she like, you know, she's somebody who wants to do something, but just can't, you know, it does not. The Obama dream does not meet reality. Yeah, yeah. And it never did. And yeah, I think the main reason I watched this film is definitely this gap in what the director's intentions were. And while I was watching it, there were points where I couldn't tell if Greg Barker just had his head in the sand or if he was some sort of Chris Morris deadpan genius. <laughs> <laughs> because it was obviously intended to be a puff piece yeah. about Obama. However, Trump comes along and it kind of exposes all their failings, <laughs> and basically, you know, the end of the movie is like, well, everything we've accomplished is going to be torn to shreds. It's and... going to be torn to shreds. There's like discussion about the um, Paris environmental policies, which obviously, you know, I don't know if this new version have edited that out, but like when it was playing in uh the London Film Festival, I don't think that had been announced yet, or whenever they, you know, Trump hadn't uh, nixed it, out. yeah. So that has already dated it. But they've obviously, the director has taken the approach of like trying to make it somewhat upbeat. So he has like these sort of vague, very vague sounding sort of like soundbitey platitudes where Obama just says something about how, you know, history has shown us that like, you know, it's quite progressive. Things get better generation of generation. And I'm just like, you're, you're fucked. You're all fucked. <laughs> you're morons. It was, it was on your watch. And you yeah. completely fucked it up. You've let the lunatics into the asylum. Yeah. You're failures. You're all failures. <laughs> Your legacy is one of absolute failure. Um, well, that is true. Uh, yeah, there's like one bit that really made me laugh where his final speech as like president and like as a, on a foreign embassy mission or whatever you call it, you know, just going around shaking the hands of people in different countries. It's like in Greece. And beforehand, he like wants to nail this opening line in Greek. And, like, he has this guy talk to him and he's like, so what's this, you know? And he, like, does a line, like, rehearses it, like, a couple of times. Like, a second before he goes on stage, like, then goes on stage and, like, nails it. Everyone applauds. And I think, like, the director thought this was, like, some, you know, showing how, like, slick what and a professional. Pro. What a but pro, it's just, yeah. like, just revealing the complete uh, banality and it's just all bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just go someplace, I nail these points, I say these things, I smile at that point. I was like, "What, Greg, come on, open your eyes. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it is worth watching, I think, but I wouldn't rush out to see it. It's the kind of film that would end up on BBC4 quite soon. And if you're a critic of Obama's administration, you'd definitely find some ammunition and, like, take some enjoyment. I mean, I got, it was a bit of a Freud of, like, you know, there's a bit where they have to, like, watch the election, and it's you know.
0: Oh, man. It's quite amusing. So he goes that far. They're still filming, like, and they see the election. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and
1: there's obviously, like, points at early on where he's like in the back of screens and like, oh God, this guy, you know, as
0: everyone was. Yeah.
1: um Like my final point in the matter would be that it's a film made by a director who doesn't have much of a vision and in that way it's sort of fitting with Obama and that's like, you know, he's born into the Obama thing but the Obama thing is like just a vague sense of hope. Yeah, yeah. So it's weird to have a political documentary which doesn't have a particularly strong political point of view.
0: Right, yeah, yeah.
1: And as a result, it's a somewhat meandering kind of film where it's you like sort a, of take what you bring to it. Because it's like a celebration
0: it. of like the professionalization of politics, which yeah. is an intrinsically kind of vacuous thing.
1: Yeah. So five stars. I wish he was back. Why can't they serve free terms? <laughs> I'm with her.
0: He would never say shithole. He would never unless Very he was empty. unless he was talking about Trump. He'd probably describe him as a shithole I don't know how
1: he's still president He tweeted something rude And I retweeted it with the words Ha 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 above it And I got a million likes <laughs> He's still president I know. It doesn't, it doesn't, make it doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense
0: Looks like Sam's got a film to review He's just getting ready now Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you That I hope are gonna help you out You gotta come prepared Try not to rush Speak directly into the mic um don't sort of use kill words too much and try to avoid talking to Oldshi Okay, stop reviewing now.: I went to see all the money in the world. I couldn't stay away from uh that film. I had to see it. I <laughs> <laughs> just had to see it I tried just, to just stay away try. but I just <laughs> tried to stay away, but I just had to see it. Uh, I was kind of curious about it because of all the drama surrounding the reshoots, obviously, which has really sure. kind of overshadowed the movie, which is, you know, not to get ahead of myself in the movie, a quite disposable and not all that interesting film. And I think that the news stories about like Kevin Spacey's expulsion and the last minute emergency replacement by Christopher Plummer are probably more interesting than the film itself. But in any case, this is the new movie by Ridley Scott, who's moved on very rapidly from Alien Covenant best scene of the year the flute scene youtube it best scene of the year and uh, so he's produced this crime thriller quite rapidly afterwards it's based on the uh well it's based on a book called painfully rich the outrageous fortunes and misfortunes of the heirs of j paul getty and it's based on the true story of uh, this ultra rich guy uh j paul getty who's an oil man who's uh the getty from getty images and stuff and was the richest man in history supposedly although i don't, I don't know quite how you can measure such a thing but the, you know he was very wealthy he was the first billionaire or something like that and uh, his grandson uh, was kidnapped in italy and the film charts the efforts of his mother played by Michelle Williams to acquire the ransom money from um Jay Paul Getty now played by Christopher Plummer um and uh he doesn't want to pay the ransom because he's a rich old scrooge like miser and he appoints Mark Wahlberg, who plays a guy called Fletcher Chase, which I really hope is the real name and not a screenwriter's <laughs> made-up name, who's a former CIA guy turned um, private fixer, Fixing general team. kind of fixer guy uh, who uh, yeah, he sets to work trying to, trying to re- recover his, uh, his grandson. And here is a clip of Wahlberg pleasing with Christopher Plummer to pay the ransom, and Plummer explains that he simply doesn't want to. They will do things to Paul that cannot be undone for any amount of money. We have to pay. This simply isn't possible. My financial position has changed. Really? I mean, 30 seconds ago, you said it was a good day. I mean, I'm not all that bright, but I can multiply as well as you. With oil up as much as it was this morning, you have amassed another fortune. Well, what if the embargo is lifted and oil were to crash? I'd be exposed. I have never been more vulnerable financially than I am right now.
1: Mr. Getty, with all due respect, Nobody
0: has ever been richer than you are at this moment. I have no
1: money to spare. What would it take? I mean, what would it take for you to feel secure? More.
0: So, yeah, so it's a somewhat of an odd film. I mean, I think I did get the most enjoyment out of the uh, kind of realization of all this background drama stuff. And it was quite cool the way that you really can't tell that it wasn't Plummer all along. They've done the reshoots very thoroughly. He's not only in a handful of key scenes or anything. He's in the movie constantly throughout. Um, and Plummer is really good in the role. I mean, he he, uh, he absolutely nails the it. The
1: ghost of Spacey is just whew, swept out of the room.
0: Well, completely. I mean, I don't know what Spacey's performance would have been like, but... Um, I mean, all right, this is probably getting a bit too like granular with it, but you remember in the original trailer where Kevin Spacey was in it and he's standing in front of a bank of photographers and journalists and they're asking about the ransom and they say, how much would you pay to get your son back? And he says, nothing.
1: How much would you pay to release your grandson if not $17 million?
0: Nothing. And uh, then I remember when the trailer came out, which had Plummer in it uh, and they had the same bit. And he delivered that line in a slightly more like tossed off way. And I was like, oh, maybe it will be like a less dramatic performance. How much would you pay to release your grandson? Nothing. <laughs> but it's like, uh, cause like spacey delivers it as a real trailer line. Yeah. Um, and in the movie, it just, the way he does, it feels like a very fully rounded character, I think. Um, and he's very entertaining to watch. And I think it's quite unusual actually to see this depiction of a, um, uh, of like, he, he's a sort of Scrooge McDuck like comedy evil rich guy figure but but Plummer plays him with such kind of like panache and charm he's just a very easygoing guy and he has fairly strong convictions about wealth and he's not sympathetic per se but there's still some enjoyment to be had out of a man who basically lives in this like vacant xanadu with nothing but his money going on uh with no friends and no like wife or anything and is no seem, seemingly very little affection for his family, uh, but he just seems very content with himself, and like you know, very like self possessed. And he, he has the plumber twinkle, that, oh,
1: the, oh the twinkle,
0: the famous plumber twinkle is very much present in Um and uh, he's thoroughly enjoyable. and And all, all his scenes are really good. There's like there's like definitely shades of Citizen Kane in it. There's a, there's a kind of fun um, Henry the from I don't know. The, like the Shakespeare you know like the, the bit in Shakespeare is like uneasy lies the head that wears the crown oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's like a bit of that kind of a thing one bear is like rushing about the house at night that's very entertaining and I just enjoyed all the plumber bits all the reshoot bits I, I thought were great the, the remainder of the movie is um, significantly less compelling Um, I think one of the really weird things about it and this might be a result of its uh, roots in a a real story which does not line up necessarily with like satisfying movie narratives but it doesn't give conventional genre thrills very well so what you would imagine is that like the the grandson gets kidnapped um, you know Michelle Williams is trying to like hunt down his kidnappers with the help of Mark Wahlberg and they would like go out and do detective work or chase leads and you know then get stymied and whatever uh, but there's very, very little of that. There's like a bit of it um, but not too much. So the kind of procedural detective aspect to the movie hardly exists really, and it's really much more about pleading with Christopher Plummer to pay the ransom, which he doesn't want to do and there's a, there's diminishing dramatic returns on that because like you know he's relatively immovable on this on this matter and they pull a few uh, like you know dramatic contrivances to try to maintain a bit of tension. but it kind of feels oddly flat. And it's hilarious to me that Wahlberg was paid one and a half million for his research on this movie when he does almost nothing in the film. Like, he's such a passive character and he's like really shitting as well. I think he's like very, very miscast as a guy who's this sort of ultra professional and very straightforward sort of bluff character, which is not playing to Wahlberg's strengths of being this kind of. It's not a Wahlberg character. It's not a Wahlberg character. He's got to play the completely guileless, open hearted you know, pleading earnest type. Hey man. Hey man. Like that's, that's like where his strengths lie or play or play against that in some interesting way. But this like very kind of straight man type role, like when he's playing these like ultra Patriots in these Peter Berg movies, that kind of makes sense, you know, like all this all American guy. Yeah. Yeah. But this kind of CIA fixer guy who's sort of cynical, but sort of a good guy. It doesn't, it it doesn't work. And it's not in the world, Wahlberg wheelhouse. Um, So I thought he was a really weak part of the movie. And Michelle Williams, I feel like, has been lumbered with a pretty much underwritten part as just a kind of worrying, you know, mother for most of the film, which is a bit joyless. And she's trying to inject it with a bit of life. But you just end up being like, what is she actually like? It's a very confusing performance. She's doing this weird kind of put on posh voice. Uh, We we were talking about this a bit before recording. You were saying it was like this bit in Friends when Phoebe is like
1: Twitter is saying.
0: Yeah, but that like I haven't seen the bit you're talking about, but it, like it makes perfect sense to me that it, because it does sound like that. She's sort of you know she kind of talks like this, darling, you know. But it's like Ameri- it's like an American version of a kind of posh British voice, and right, it's not okay. really that clear where it's come from or why. Why? What? Yeah. Why? Why, why? Michelle? Why? why, Michelle? What is going on here, Michelle? So yeah, with these two characters who don't seem to quite work and a lot of plot treading water, it doesn't. It's not. Doesn't make for very compelling viewing. As some interest. Other than uh, Christopher Plummer's um, sort of swanning about, uh, is also uh, comes from the kidnapped boy who, who you will remind me who's played by because you told played me. Played to
1: by Charlie Plummer, no relation.
0: Charlie Plummer, no relation, uh, who is really really good in it. He's got a lot of presence, and uh, it first appears in the movie before he gets kidnapped as this kind of like long-haired, cool young man, like swishing about Rome, and he's he seems like you know, he's got, he's, got, he's got a lot of cool about him and then he obviously gets put in this very difficult situation. I think he does a very good job of juggling this guy who's, who just seemed, he's got this kind of aloof, um, ethereal quality, but he's also like a kid who's shitting his pants because he's been kidnapped and held at gunpoint. And, that, and all that stuff is done very well. So he also felt like a proper character. Um, and his scenes amongst the kidnappers, um, I thought were pretty well done. But in general, it's definitely not... I wouldn't really recommend it unless you're a real, like, Scott completist or <laughs> you really, really want to find out um, how well they managed to erase Spacey from this movie, which is pretty well, um, except for one green screen shot. It seems quite seamless. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I would say not essential. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardot. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end.
1: Now, for the greatest one of all time about the greatest Britain Churchill. Churchill! The Darkest Hour has got nine BAF nominations. It's a big awards heavy hitter, mainly for Gary Oldman's performance. You see You've seen him
0: in The Dark Knight. You've seen him in The Dark Knight Rises. Now oh. you see him in The Darkest Hour, the third of the Dark Trilogy.
1: Exactly. He loves playing films of Dark in the title. <laughs> uh, so the plot, if it matters, is like fucking <laughs> Churchill. Just like He's just been made Prime Minister. And it's like the first month or so of him like dealing with the war Dunkirk's in the background, and there's still talk of like uh, appeasement. Boo! 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 Here is um, the iconic
0: "Up Your Bum" scene. Of course, there's only one clip you can possibly show, which uh, features Lily James
1: playing his Cockney uh, his secretary, oh, Mr. Churchill. Oh, in the poor sir. quarters, oh, Mr.
0: Churchill. Oh, it means no. something naughty, Mr. Churchill. Have you seen this? <laughs> <laughs> What's
1: so funny?
0: Oh. Prime Minister, sir. funny yes,
1: is it?
0: Um, perhaps...
1: Um... Look, I'm... I'm not sure if you know this, but, um... Uh, but, but, but the way you're doing your V for victory sign... Hmm? Well, in the poorer quarters, that gesture means something else. What does it mean? Well, I wouldn't like to say, sir. I was captured by the boar. I spent time in a South African prison.
0: Up your bum. Sir.
1: Up your bum. your <laughs> bum.
0: <laughs> the way you're doing it, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> but if, if you turn it around, that's fine. <laughs> I wouldn't like millions of people to take it the wrong way.
1: Close up your bump Oh God <laughs> So I thought this film was fucking terrible. I saw it the day of my uh my dear old Ma, took it to the cinema. She enjoyed it. But maybe she's the, you know, demographic. She's probably a bit more of a Churchill fan, loves all that sort of wartime, you know, yeah. bunting. She probably, she's probably got a lot of bunting. I thought it was shit. I thought it was fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the biggest culprit is the um, the script, which is written by Anthony McCartney, who previously wrote The through of Everything, and he won a BAFTA for Best Adapted Screenplay for that terrible fucking film. And uh, all the problems are with that film or this one. And I think it's basically bad in every (laughs) conceivable way. A script can be bad. That's like my day job. I'm a script reader. So so
0: you're not just some guy sounding off. You're a professional. And if
1: they'd send me the script, I'd be like, let me give you this screenwriting 101 little textbook. It's going to solve a lot of problems. So it is burdened to the point of death by exposition Characters say stuff like "Lord Halifax, the Foreign Secretary." It's like, why wouldn't who says that? They're all in the government, and uh, you know, characters just discuss their backstories, and you know, it's all kind of winking at the audience the whole way through. It doesn't; the scenes don't really flow together, which is a common problem with biopics. They sort of skip through stuff, and subtext is yelled all the time. Uh, Even the final line of the movie is like uh, just yelling at the audience what you've just seen the subjects what you've seen and it is very very broad the characterization is like painfully broad and Churchill basically either gives rye quips yells at people or occasionally looks a bit vulnerable you know hey Churchill sometimes he wasn't so sure of things yeah he's a human being the cigar wobbled and like the three of everything it's a similar deal where the writer and everyone involved is so in love with the subject matter the man in question churchill that they don't dare critique him in any way which is at all interesting so all these possible avenues which could have dramatic possibility aren't explored at all and the thing about churchill what do you think about him he is quite a sort of contradictory figure and like a lot of his you know he uh, was in the liberal party and then the tories he like was you know an imperialist. He was a nationalist. Like there's all these things about him. He is an interesting guy, whether you like him or not. But it's been completely sort of rounded out into the sort of uh, like I don't know, like a sort of novelty mug you get at a shitty store in Soho kind of. Is it like of Churchill? Is
0: it? This might be a bit of an odd, odd you know uh, thing to go to. But if if we were in a world of those like Harry Potter playing cards, where it was like emotion thing. You you take out the card and you see someone moving around and like delivering their catchphrase or something. Is it like that version of Churchill? Exactly. Sort of collectible. Yeah. Yeah. You've
1: got it. Exactly that. So it's a massive hagiography, but it crosses the line from meaningless puff piece into full-on offensive with this one incredible scene where Churchill, uh, who's been pressured by his party to a for peace, is feeling a bit glum, goes to like on a train with the normies and has like a little focus group. And the content of which is, like, so stupid and, like, offensive. And it kind of, like, the thing about Churchill is, like, it kind of reposits him as the sort of, like, head of a sort of coalition of the British people. And, like, every kind of demographic is kind of sort of represented. There's, like, one black guy who's a fan of Churchill. There's the old and the young. And it's, like, Churchill is all of us. You get what I mean? Yeah. And it's not just like this. When he was obviously... He was an, an imperialist audience... racist. Ra- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Joe Wright's direction sort of matches the ambitions of the film, and that it is, like, very empty and shallow. His basic thing is, like, pretty televisual, and occasionally he does some sort of crazy camera move, which are just kind of cheap gimmicks and are completely unmotivated, and they just become distracting, and at a few moments, like, overtly comical. <laughs> it's like, you know that sort of, like, cliche of people, like, you know opening their arms and screaming at the heavens and the camera zooms out. There's like versions of those kind of shots, Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just like, come on, man. Like, have you not seen any other films? (laughs) Ridiculous. So the main purpose of these kinds of films are just to be sort of showcases for brilliant actors. And Gary Oldman is obviously getting a lot of buzz. He won the Golden Globe and he's the sort of front runner to get the BAFTAs and the Oscars. And I mean, he is a great actor, but I think the part is so shitly written that he cannot escape its caricatured nature. But at the same time, I think Gary Oldman is aware that the film is kind of theatrical and stagey, and there is obviously an element of Churchill as like a bit of an actor himself who kind of put a performance. So it's like, it's the most I've seen Gary Oldman do is kind of like star turn. Yeah. You know, he's not like doing his Gary Oldman thing of being like totally in the character. He's kind of like having fun with it, yeah. which I think is like a smart way to play it. And he is good. I don't know if, if I'd give him an award for it, but you know. He's good in that. And like uh, the other cast, like Christian Scott Thomas and Ben Mendelsohn, are both very good. I mean, all these films of these nature are kind of filled out with these kind of British character actors who are just sort of good at their job and just, you know, can do whatever shit you give them. They're just kind of invest it with enough stuff. Yeah, they've they've worn these types
0: of costumes like a million times. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Uh, You know, it's all about Churchill standing up to Nazis, which is undeniably a good thing. Nazis are bad. Defeating them, good. But it's treated like this, uh, I read one review, it's treated like a sort of moral check that you can be, you can cash again and again and again. And it's a bit like, Churchill's great, and that sort of focus group train scene is a bit like Churchill embodies all of us. So it kind of invites you, it's like, Churchill's great, Churchill beat the Nazis, and we all beat the Nazis as well. It's kind of like a very... I felt uncomfortable, like, if I met someone who really loved this movie, I'd be like, I do not want to be friends with you. <laughs> and it's also a bit of like... It, it treats like history as like a sort of golden era as well yeah it's a bit yeah. like oh i wish it was like this now it's like you wish it was world war ii now with a bunch of old white guys yelling at each other like the whole thing is about a bunch of old imperialistic rich poshos deciding the fate of the world i'm like oh, God.
0: ah the golden days
1: <laughs> oh the golden days so yeah i've basically hated everything about it and i would not recommend <laughs> it and i think if you liked it with the exception of my mum. Who is you know I love dearly. Who's a wonderful woman? Wonderful woman. Thought it was a load of shit. Just thought it was fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense.
0: Yeah, there's a there's um, one com- one complaint I've heard leveled at uh, the baby boomer generation is that it's this kind of there's a segment of that generation that didn't experience World War II but kind of feels like they did. You know. Yeah. 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 And it feels a bit like the movie aimed at that type of person. You know. Not alive in World War II, but you sort of feel like you have a connection to it as an event. Yeah, yeah. About like the the war, the war, the glorious war is about to happen. It's like
1: it's weird because it's it's obviously made with such a sort of geographic modern perspective, but at the same time, doesn't have any kind of like. There's no take. There's no take. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like the villain of the piece is played by uh, Stephen Delaney. He played Stanis Barafian, who is Viscount Halifax, who wants to like appease. He doesn't want there to be war, and his position is quite reasonable if you remember that they've been through World War One. But it doesn't really. It's like you know the history is on Churchill's side, and and so is the filmmaker, and so is everyone in the film. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So like look at these stupid Tories Stupid cowardly Tories Why can't they respect this Look at this man He cracks jokes He's fat But he has good He's like oh, Fuck off I just can't be Dealing with this stuff anymore
0: Yeah it does sound fucking awful So five stars Up your bum Up your bum Up
1: your bum Up your bum, <laughs> <laughs> up,
0: up your bum. When Zach Graff heard something that changed his life What he listened to John When John Jack made a mixtape for his future wife. What did she listen to? Film And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? Film And when Tim Robbins showed Shorzak that he had enough, which record did he choose?
1: Film Yeah, 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 yeah. We should watch Pan, you know. I hear that Jay Wright is fucking shit, shit isn't he? You know, I'm kind of glad our uh, producer Katie Rogers was had some sort of work emergency, but when I was going, out with her, I had to watch Pride <laughs> and Prejudice.
0: His <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, and she she is she, shit. she loves it, and yeah. I had to
1: watch it, and I had to bite my tongue and not point out that it was shit. It
0: is really bad. It's a really bad adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Broke up, I was like, well, <laughs>
1: I've got a few things to get off my chest. Okay, firstly, firstly,
0: the Joe Wright adaptation of Pride and Prejudice is disastrous. What's the bit when
1: like they're dancing and they're just dancing by themselves? That's such your Joe Wright move of, like... It's, it's like a bit, utterly you know, stupid cliche. Yeah, exactly. Empty, sort of cheap gimmick.
0: Yeah, and his... Uh, what, what was his adaptation? Um, what is that Russian novel he did? Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina as well, with this odd notion of it all being set in a theatre, which feels like this great artist's flourish, but adds nothing to the film, and it's just a way to do a bunch more tracking shots in an enclosed space, you know? He's just yeah. a fucking weird guy, Joe Wright. He does... He feels like... You know, if he didn't exist, the BAFTAs would have to invent him, you know? This kind of, like, utterly mediocre but polished, very British kind of person who's, like, you feel like he's got to be there, you know? This kind of guy with, like, his long tracking shots of, like, war and, you know, people with trembling lips Uh, and stuff.
1: Nine nominations. This is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) It was, like... It's too too much. There was a bit of a sort of, like, backlash because they... um, you know, all the directors are nominated for the Baftas are all male. A bit like the Golden Globes. And the head of Bafta was like, "Well, who do you take out? I like, couldn't like Joe Wright, Joe Wright. Take him out. Take <laughs> him out. Take him out."
0: And I don't just mean it from the nominations. I mean like take him out. I mean just permanently. I mean, needs, this guy needs I to mean, be back of the head. Yeah. <laughs> Execution style. <laughs> yeah. take him out. Take take this motherfucker out. <laughs> okay, he's never gonna make a good film. Just get rid of him.
1: Yeah, a lot of reviews are like, well, you know, after the disaster of Pan, his he's, he's back's and all cylinders. Like, no, he's not. <laughs> well, maybe he is, but it's still shit. Maybe that's the you know the best he can do. But Yeah,
0: let's watch Pan. Oh, mate. Let's watch Pan. I've got oh, to find out to what it's like. see a prequel
1: to Peter Pan. What, what, how did he become Peter Pan? How did he become Hook? <laughs> how did his
0: child become become who he is today?
1: <laughs> How's that six-year-old child? What was he
0: doing before? What's the- his backstory? <laughs>
1: yeah. Great stuff. Great
0: stuff. Um, Anyway. Anyway. Thanks, listeners. That's all we have time for on this episode of Film Chat. Join us at our quiz.
1: Join us at our quiz on Tuesday. Yeah. And join us next week, where we'll be discussing some Something. Well, Coco's out. I
0: might see Coco. The post is out. And the post is out. So I don't know... If you all enjoyed this um, sort of mocking uh, tone of review that we've delivered today,
1: in many ways it could be a synergy of like my hatred of uh, Final Year and Darkest Hour. Yeah, brought together in in rooms, (laughs) chatting shit, smug as hell, smug as hell. Can't wait.
0: Yeah. Uh, So yeah, join us for that one. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye. Winston's the name, fighting Hitler's my game And I won't stop fighting till the war is won We'll win at all costs, no appeasing the Bosch We'll stick every Nazi where there is no sun Surrender, sir, there's no such word I simply won't hear of it To those who say negotiate, well here's where you can shove it. Up your bum, up your bum, up your bum, up your bum. God save the king and stick it up your bum. Up your bum, up your bum, up your bum, up your bum. bum. Rule Britannia, stick it up your bum. Up your bum. Up your bum, up your bum, up your bum, up your bum. Tally-ho, a- shove it up your bum. Up your, well. up your bum, up your bum, up your bum, up your bum. Cry, Cry for England, England <laughs> Harry and St. George, please stick it up your bum. Oh, indeed.
1: up <laughs> <laughs> your bum.